The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Weekend time is here at last. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's Friday. It's not the weekend yet. You got to get through today first. But for all intents and purposes, we are there. And I honestly sort of need it bad. It's really weird, honestly. I I can't... I, I didn't see this coming. I know I love using that line. I didn't even see it coming. A little Jim Carrey action for you there. The All-Star Week ended up being one of the busiest weeks I've had all season. Just focusing on other massive projects. Obviously, there's some changes going on in the in the works here at Hoopball. Some new stuff coming out, but boy, just uh, even if it's just attrition, this has been a, this has been a week that has knocked me on my keister. Knocked me on my keister. So happy to get to the weekend. We'll all take a deep breath, get things fired up again next week. It's nice to get back to the grind a little bit today, too. This is our Friday episode of Fantasy NBA Today. It'll stretch you through until Monday. We will obviously have a segment in today's show where we'll preview each team's next game. Each team's... So we'll go 30 game or uh, 15 games, 30 teams. Actually, it might be more than 15 games because they don't all just play every other. There's some back-to-backs in there. Anyway, you guys don't care about the math element of it. Suffice it to say, we'll talk about every team's next game. We do have a Thursday to recap. We do not have a week in review segment that got changed around recently. We had some streamer discussions. We had some trade deadline stuff. We had some injury stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, we have to jump over that on this show because the week in review is actually just the Thursday recap. So what I'd like to do is actually do the weekend preview portion first, which I realize seems completely ill-advised and goofy logic on my part, but I worry that if we go through the Thursday recap, we're going to end up discussing some of the things that I wanted to look at over the weekend. So we'll obviously reference back to it, but let's look at the weekend. Let's talk about everybody's next game coming up, which starts, of course, with a nine-game Friday tonight. And then we'll pivot back around and we'll look at what happened on Thursday. And we can kind of tie that to what we're looking forward to. I know, we're going backwards. We're trying something new. And then on Monday, we'll obviously have our reverse chronological lightning round. Get back to the basics on that one. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us here. 45 minutes or whatever this turns out to be on Fantasy NBA Today. A hoop ball presentation hoop-ball.com is the website. You guys have probably heard me say it a thousand times. And I mentioned it, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show where I hit 5,000 Twitter followers. But it was a really cool day when I realized that people were starting to find the show before the website. First year, year and change we had this podcast. Everybody that found the podcast said, oh, well, Hoopball directed me to you. And now there's this equilibrium. So to those of you that haven't checked out Hoopball, and I know there's at least a few, Many of you are obviously hoop ballers after having listened to this show for X number of weeks or months or years. But those of you that are just checking it out for the first time or listen to the pod and don't actually do a lot of the deep reading, I don't need you to do deep reading. I was talking to Mike Passador, our lead editor at Hoopball, who's just a the secret genius behind the scenes here who doesn't like to do a lot of the uh, tweeting things that I kind of enjoy. And... We talked about the fact that 
the answers to a lot of the questions that come in on Twitter are in our blurb feed at HoopBall. These guys work tirelessly, Mike in particular, and his staff to get you information from these games at a moment's notice, way earlier than I can do it on this podcast. These shows come out either you know, the morning after the games or in the middle of the night after the games. You know, at the time of recording some of the night shows even, as I'm going through some of the box scores, they've already plowed through it. You know, they got their Trey Young 50-point blurb. That's already out there. The blurb feed is, is colossal in what you do in fantasy. It is colossal for a number of reasons. And this is part promo, but this is also part lesson. The promo element, you guys need to follow at Hoopball Fantasy. I mean, if, you're, if you've been listening to the podcast for even two days, you need to follow at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. It's mandatory. It's where you can get all your injury information, all your big lines, your late scratches, your changing your subs. It's all there with fantasy breakdowns running in conjunction with it. The, the blurb feed has the headline. You just click on it. It'll take you to HoopBall. You'll see the, the fantasy breakdown from that. You have to, at HoopBall Fantasy. That's the promo part. The lesson part is that reading blurbs over a very long stretch of time actually makes you a better fantasy player. You start to think like the blurbs would, would dictate. You start to think, what does this little piece of information mean to the greater fantasy whole. And then writing blurbs is easily the fastest way to become a fantastic fantasy basketball player and a pro. And I use this to segue into the fact that we have really stepped up the recruiting here over the last little bit. I don't know what it is about the All-Star break. Again, there's an attrition element to it, but we've got some openings at HoopBall. On the contributor side... So again, this is really an entry-type deal. You're getting into the fantasy world. If you can write, doesn't have to be for, for sports, but you need to be able to write. So we can't, take, you know, we can't take someone who has no idea what they're doing just with the written word and mold them. But we can't take somebody who knows how to write but just hasn't really done it for sports ever, turn you into a fantasy pro. But got to have some availabilities because you got to work the blurb shift. You got to work the blurbs. That's how you do it. Hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, we are bringing on blurbers for the first time in a while. This is sort of like an official recruiting push. Sometimes I'll just lob it out there for the hell of it. This is a real one. We have legitimate openings. The wait list has been chewed up. People have either made it or not made it, and it's time for the next wave of brilliant fantasy writers to get in at HoopBall. I also, on yesterday's podcast, threw out the fact that we're looking for podcasters, and Brandon mentioned it as well on the uh, Wednesday edition. We are looking for podcasters at HoopBall. Specifically, DFS podcasters, but really anybody that wants to get in on this side, the broadcasting side of the mix, you can bug me as well. Uh, so top two priorities right now to fill for us here at HoopBall blurbers, those that want to really climb up from the bottom on the written side to become a fantasy pro, or a DFS podcaster, because we have some openings clearing out in those two areas. Let's look at the games coming up tonight. This is Friday, by the way. This, again, this is the Friday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. And obviously, we'll look at the games on Saturday 
and if we need to go to Sunday as well, and just kind of what we're looking forward to, because a lot of these teams are playing for the first time coming out of the break. Now, there are only six games on Thursday, so still 18 teams haven't played post-All-Star break. So there's a lot to watch out for. We'll dive right in. Dallas-Orlando. Dallas-Orlando. Couldn't think of a less interesting game to start with. I don't care what's going on in Orlando. DJ Augustine is the only minor question mark, what he does to potential Markel Fultz fantasy value, which really wasn't all that great anyway. But that could drive it down further. And with Dallas, now that they're healthy, aside from obviously Dwight Powell, it's just a mix-and-match thing again. Nothing. Two nothing teams to kick things off here. All right, here we go. Here's a team that's got something. The Cleveland Cavaliers are in Washington. Kevin Love was not on the injury report, so whatever was going on with his Achilles might have been all-star break-itis. If he indeed does play and you're on a game's cap, I would bench Larry Nance Jr. Because I have no idea what they're going to do with him when Love is around. I would rather miss out on Nance playing well in 25 minutes then play him, find out they're only going to give him 19 minutes when everybody's playing, and play a bad ball game. I think there's an equal chance of both, and I don't like that 50-50 odds or worse. If we find out that any of the other centers on Cleveland are out, if Drummond sits for unknown re- we haven't heard anything to that effect, if Tristan Thompson takes a night off, then obviously Larry Nance is a guy you plug in there. Because with three big men, there's plenty for Nance. With four... The one game we saw post-break, it wasn't enough. But Nance is so damn good in limited activity that you cannot drop. Kevin Porter Jr. is another name to watch on that team. I just don't know if there's enough available stuff for him, but he has certainly moved closer. You know, I'm having trouble, and I know you guys... Everybody loves to talk about me being the, the fantasy analyst that hates the young guys. And that's that's all well and good. That's relatively accurate <laughs> for the most part. Um, but here's the thing with Kevin Porter. He's coming off the bench, which right away makes his job harder. Right away makes his job harder. He has scored in double figures in seven consecutive games. He has. And that's not nothing. That's over a little over two weeks. 17.5 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, a steal. That's in his last two ball games. Over the last month for Porter, 15 points, 2.5 boards, 2 assists, a steal, 2 three-pointers on 52% from the field. And yet, he's number 168 over that stretch. Because no rebounds, no assists, and a bad free throw percent have wiped out the good stuff. And the 15 points feels bigger than it is. Just because you've scored in double figures in seven games in a row doesn't mean you're actually helping anybody in points scored. He's basically a break-even proposition there. And he's been hot. Yes, obviously the fact that he's played 30 minutes or more in two of his final three games going into the All-Star break is worth monitoring. He is definitely a player to monitor and someone that could be intriguing going into next year when one would assume that he will have more responsibility and opportunity on this team. My issue is, I don't see how his stat set carries him over the hump. He doesn't assist well. He doesn't rebound well. 
He gets no blocked shots. His turnovers are relatively high for someone who's not really orchestrating anything. His scoring is fine. That's something that could potentially continue to evolve and get better for next year. But I just, I don't know how he does, I don't know how he gets inside the top 100 this season. Something's going to have to stick in a way that it hasn't so far. And the field goal percent is going to have to stay crazy high, which kind of feels unsustainable. So how, I mean, how high can the points really go when there's that many other guys still taking shots on that team? Sexton and Garland and Love and Drummond. I mean, he's at best a fifth option. Probably more like the sixth. Can the steal stay above one in 27-ish, 28 minutes off the bench? Maybe. The rebounds and assists, very low. The turnovers, oddly high. There's something missing right now, and he feels... And I'll plant my flag in this one. February 21st. He feels like a guy that's really looking more at success next year as opposed to this one. He feels like he's a season away. On the Washington side, uh, I mean, it's really Thomas Bryant and then what that means for Mo Wagner. If Bryant comes back, does he knock Wagner off of usable fantasy value? Wagner, obviously an efficiency guy. Every minute he's on the floor is a, a big plus because he's been great on a per-minute basis, but minutes have not been particularly high when everybody's been healthy on that team. I'm not venturing particularly far behind the three Bs, uh, Beal, Bertans, and Bryant. Indiana, relatively predictable these days. Victor Oladipo no longer on a minutes restriction, but he will sit out back-to-backs. That's been the only news on that team in a little bit. New York might be without Alfred Payton, and we know things go poorly for them when he's not on the floor. I'm still watching that Knicks team to see if anybody else can wiggle their way out of the woodwork. Alliterative. Did you enjoy that? I did. It was fun to say. Phoenix is getting everybody back for this ballgame in Toronto. DeAndre Ayton's back. Aaron Baines is back. Dario Scharch. Well, they're not all back. They're probable, so we don't know until the game actually happens. But that's a really good sign. Very curious what the minute distribution is going to look like at center now that Baines is actually back and healthy. Because we saw it shifting. We saw the tide turning for a ton of DeAndre Ayton, but he's obviously been getting even more than he can handle lately. Ayton's averaging 33 minutes a game, but there's been no Baines. So that could come down a little bit. Regardless, Ayton is settled in from a fantasy perspective as an end-of-the-first-round guy. Obviously, the big shame of the matter is he missed 25 games of suspension and his ankle's been dinged up, so he's never going to quite get there on a totals element. Uh, but his per-game production looks pretty good these days. Nobody back yet for Toronto. When I say nobody, I mean Norman Powell and Marcus Soul. so you can pretty much ride with whatever you were doing going into the All-Star break. Marcus Soul, I think they assume he'll be back in the next couple of weeks, one to two weeks maybe. Norman Powell, it sounds like more they're targeting sometime in March which makes Gasol the better stash because you might get him before your playoffs start. Even if Powell might be better slightly on a per-game basis, I want the guy that I can use. Denver. I'm going to assume they're healthy. What I want to know, and I and big thank you to Harrison Wind, who covers the Nuggets and has uh, been on this podcast before. I think it was on a couple years ago. We had a, a brief tweet discussion about what's going to happen with Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant. Because the question we both had, and neither one of us was able to fully answer, can a player's minutes restriction move around because of rest time? My guess would be no. 
I think we were both leaning in that direction. Like, a player really needs to get additional minutes in a game setting for their minutes cap to move, to be lifted up. Paul Millsap was sitting at a minutes cap around 20 going into the All-Star break. He looked fantastic playing backup four and five off the bench. The assumption, though, based on all the metrics, is that they need to get him in there more. He has been, and this is going to blow people's minds, he's actually been their best player from an offensive and defensive rating standpoint this year. Better than Nikola Jokic. Bigger impact. The sapper. So they want to get him in there. The question is, can they or will they or when they? We have all these questions. If his minutes cap can move up because of a week off from play, you know, able to do conditioning drills and whatever you want to talk about, and get up into that 24 range where now he can handle half the ball game, you could see him come in and start and go six minutes, 12 off, six minutes on, half time, six, 12 off, six again to close it out and split time with Jeremy Grant. However you shake it out, it's probably going to slowly shift in Millsap's direction. Very curious to find out if he's starting this game out of the All-Star break. What are we doing with Jeremy Grant? Well, again, I've mentioned this before. If you're in a keeper league, you sit on him because he's probably going to have that starting power forward job to himself next year. If you're in a redraft format, uh, you sit on it a little bit longer just to see how that thing shakes out. If Grant is still starting, that to me indicates that Millsap is probably still stuck at around 20 minutes, and you could probably roll Grant out there because he's been playing 28 to 30 while Millsap's been working himself back into shape. Oklahoma City is a non-factor from a fantasy standpoint. They have wonderful fantasy players, but nothing's changing out there. Boston is without Kemba Walker. So the other guys will pick up the slack. You'll see bonus Marcus Smart. He loves playing when one of their main guys is out, and everybody will be fine, and Kemba will be fine too. Don't panic. Minnesota! Is it Nas Reed? Is it James Johnson? Who will it be? Is it Juancho Hernan Gomez? Thing is, without Cat, there's so many extra touches. So D'Angelo Russell is going to put up numbers. Malik Beasley is going to put up numbers. Wancho might even be 12-team material with with Cat out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet my life on it. James Johnson and his well-rounded game, he seems like a great fit with Cat out. And then Nas Reed, if his minutes can trend up into the mid to high 20s, he's in great shape. If he's stuck in the low 20s, then there's probably not quite enough meat on that bone as our buddy Aaron Bruski likes to say. San Antonio is at Utah. The Spurs, will they ever turn their two-point guards loose? Just turn them loose. It's looking like the answer at this point is going to be no this year, but we have seen kind of this back and forth where lately DeJounte Murray's been the better one. There was a stretch where both of those guys were useful. I think you really can play all four. Spurs, fantasy, values, whatever you want to call them, uh, Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. DeMar, by the way, questionable for this game, so ir- irrespective of that. Murray and White both should be decent enough. Utah, uh, we will not have Mike Conley for this game. He's going to play in their Saturday half of the back-to-back, so that means a little bonus Joe Ingles time. But he's been fading hard as Conley's been getting healthy, and I see no reason why that should backpedal here after the All-Star break. New Orleans is right. Their team is basically healthy at this point, so you can pretty much talk favors Zion, Drew, and Ingram. And I don't know that I would venture into the J.J. Redick, Josh Hart neighborhood. 
Because the key for those guys is someone needs to be out. Somebody, anybody. Just one high-usage guy on the shelf, and then those two dudes can move into value. When they're not, it's pretty unpredictable. No Damian Lillard on the Portland side. Uh, again, he's expected to miss a couple of weeks, one to two weeks, with his groin situation. Situation is such a cryptic way to talk about a groin strain. You really shouldn't be cryptic when you're talking about groin stuff. So, I mean, what's going to happen with this team? Uh, odds are they're going to get their butts kicked, that, number one, because what, you know, what can they do without Damian Lillard? Maybe you see a little injured star stuff. I don't, I, stuff I don't know that I would... I don't know that I'd bank on it because sometimes a guy is just such a pulse of a team, but you just never know. It's the weird game out of the all-star break for both of these teams. You know, is New Orleans going to be extremely rusty? Is Portland going to come out and try to pick up their guy, Dame, who's always shouldering the load? Who knows? You're going to get a lot of C.J. McCollum, simply too much Hassan Whiteside. Carmelo Anthony's going to get extra shots. None of this stuff is necessarily a good thing. And Trevor Ariza seems like he's going to be able to hang around just inside the top 100 Certainly more opportunities here with Damian Lillard out, but maybe not as open. So I don't know that it necessarily helps him. And then the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, we've already seen the Memphis play once out of the All-Star break. The, the stuff with them is always going to be minutes for their young guys. And the Lakers are a two-man operation. There's nothing there. Looking at Saturday, Sacramento at the Clippers. Clippers trying to get healthy. We don't have updates on Paul George or Patrick Beverly yet, but we might soon. And obviously that, you know, that game is still a day and a half away. Afternoon game, by the way, at the time of recording this podcast. The Kings were uh, kind of barely sort of watching to see if any of the things like Jabari Parker, if that ever translates into anything. As I mentioned on pods before, I think you got to wait and find out if he's actually going to play enough before you do anything with him. I, I didn't think that he would out of the shoot. And game one was sort of evidence in that favor. But who the hell knows? Anything can happen. It's the Kings, after all. Clippers, uh, they got Reggie Jackson. I don't think he's going to do a whole... I mean, you might see some time with, uh, with Beverly doesn't play. But uh, obviously, if Paul George and Beverly are back in there, that flips the script on this thing. Brooklyn... Kyrie Irving probably out for the season at this point. Very likely to be out for the season at this point. So what do we get? I mean, when Spencer Dinwiddie was efficient, he had a good run, and then the efficiency tapered off in a big way. Can Karis LeVert maybe get loose? I have not been a fan of his game, but certainly the opportunity is there now. You certainly you you definitely can't argue that element of it. He just does too many things poorly. Field goal percent, free throw percent, turnovers. When you start at that baseline of three things that are just not going to be good, then doing more stuff isn't always a big win. I mean, just look at the game from Thursday. Those two guys, Dinwiddie and Levert, scored a combined 47 points, but it took them 48 shots to get there. And Dinwiddie had a bad free throw shooting game, and they combined for two defensive stats. Dinwiddie had a block, Levert had a steal. I know that there were nice popcorn stuff, and both of those guys are killers in, in points league formats because then you're not caring so much about the inefficiency issues. I'm actually more interested in what the hell's going on with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. Even going into the break, you were seeing more DeAndre Jordan than Jared Allen. And I've got to think Allen's dealing with something. We didn't have a report yet on, on what's happening with this thing, and I figured going into that game, you'd see more DeAndre Jordan just to deal with Joel Embiid, 
Philadelphia is one of the opponents where guys like DJ are always going to get a little extra run, but he was getting extra run even before the All-Star break, even against opponents where it, it maybe didn't make quite as much sense. I don't know what's happening here. I don't think that they're moving to the veteran. Makes no sense. I mean, they'll they'll bungle their way into a playoff spot, even without Kyrie Irving. But, I mean, Jared Allen, I, I, I'm, I'm confused by all of this. I mean, is this is like, hey, we're going to play some veterans now. Uh, sorry, Jared Allen, you're not really part of our plans type of thing. I, I just... I don't know that I follow, but I do have DeAndre Jordan in a couple of spots for his rebounding largely, and right now that seems like it could be a pretty big win, at least in the short term while we figure out what the hell's happening. Charlotte, uh, we're seeing more Malik Monk. I mean, again, it's largely scoring stuff. He had 25 points on Thursday night, but no defensive stats, and he did it efficiently, which elevated his game that night. P.J. Washington had some defensive stats. But again, a lot of this came because of the opponent. The Chicago Bulls, they're terrible. I need to see Charlotte and any of these guys do it a couple of times before I truly buy into anything. Miles Bridges has been much more aggressive, which is good. P.J. Washington's been all over the map. I don't don't much care for this Charlotte fantasy program. Dallas, Atlanta. uh, Dallas, we've, we've already talked about Atlanta. I mean, give Kevin Herter credit. He got 16 shots up in their game on Thursday, but DeAndre Hunter had 17 points on 12 shots. Cam Reddish had 16 points on 12 shots. What happens in a game where they don't score 130? What about a game where John Collins takes more than nine shots? What about if or when Clint Capella ever shows his face? Which, again, that could be multiple weeks at this point. But I have a lot of fear with guys like Herder and Hunter and Reddish, that they're just all going to start eating from each other's buckets. Jeff Teague, too, he played 25 minutes in this game. We were fortunate from the perspective of Atlanta went to an extremely short bench. They really only played seven guys in this game. Bruno Fernando played nine minutes, Vince Carter played four, and Brandon Goodwin played five minutes. But only seven guys cleared the 10-minute threshold. Seven guys. Jeff Teague had 25. Dwayne Dedman was in foul trouble. He played 20. He'll have more likely the next time around. Trey Young, 39. Reddish, 37. Collins, 30. Hunter, 30. Herter, 40. That's also unsustainable. Guys are going to get hurt. But certainly monitor it. I mean, if they're going to play, they're going to play seven guys and five of them are going to go 35 to 40 minutes, you probably could end up having all of those guys. Do I trust Cam Reddish yet? No. Do I trust DeAndre Hunter yet? No, not really. Do I trust Kevin Herter? Not entirely. But it's possible that you might get all three of those guys into fantasy value if they're really going to play 30. I mean, DeAndre Hunter at, at 30 minutes was the low bar there. But remember, they put up 130 points. Anyway, we still haven't even done our Thursday recap. Phoenix at Chicago. I don't, I don't, I mean, we talked about Phoenix already, but Chicago is just blech. What a mess. Tomas Sadoransky is going to be good because Chris Dunn's out for the year. Presumably, they'll start to work some of their injured guys back into the mix here shortly. Wendell Carter Jr. is close. Maybe he'll play over the weekend. Chandler Hutchinson suffered a setback. Otto Porter's not that far away. Larry Markkinen. That's just going to clutter things even more. Thad Young is about to fall off a cliff, too, as some of these guys come back. Cleveland, we talked about. Miami. I mean, you can hearken back to Thursday's loss in Atlanta, but Jay Crowder 
fouled out in 23 minutes of that ball game. He's due to peter out here quick. Miami just has too many guys, man. It's too many guys. We just talked about Atlanta going seven deep. Miami basically went 11 deep. And Crowder still was okay. He made all of his free throws. That's not going to hold. Some of it, again, is putting up 124 points. When you get these crazy, you know, 250-point ball games, it's going to be a lot of fantasy value. One thing to note, certainly, in the pro-Jay Crowder column is that he did take the starting job away from Derek Jones Jr. This is a weird ball game. Spolstra was reluctant to play his starters' gigantic minutes. Again, Crowder fouled out. None was in foul trouble as well. Jimmy Butler played 34 minutes and has had some shooting issues at times this year. Thing is, I don't I don't see Miami going to heavy doses of starters. I don't think Jay Crowder is going to play 35 minutes a ball game. Not with Iguodala behind him. Not when Goran Dragic is going to be taking a bunch of shots off the bench. Olenek, Derek Jones Jr., Duncan Robinson is a starter. Solomon Hill played 14 minutes. I have a lot of trouble trusting Jay Crowder. I, if you want to roll with it, fine. I mean, as a guy that's going to probably hurt you a fair amount in field goal percent, if you know what you're getting into, there are worse situations. But you really have to know what you're getting into. It's going to be a bad field goal percent. His free throw percent isn't that great. And the steals and blocks are going to taper off. He's had a really nice, quick start for defensive stats in Miami. Six steals in four games, three blocks in four games. That's not holding. And so it's all going to come apart. The question isn't really if, but when. You might be able to milk it for a little bit. Philadelphia, Milwaukee, this should be a fun one, depending on who's actually healthy enough to play, but not much from a fantasy standpoint. And then Houston and Utah, you know, we'll wait and make, give our verdict on the Rockets here once we see how some of their newer pieces get used. I do think that Jeff Green could do enough to hurt P.J. Tucker, who did actually finally take a few shots in the uh, Rockets-Warriors game because we know Golden State likes to trap Harden and make everybody else do stuff. Unusual, by the way. Most teams don't treat him that way. Do I think any of those guys are going to have fantasy value? No, I mean, it's the starting five for this team, if anybody, and probably not Tucker. So Harden, Covington, Westbrook, and probably Daniel House. If Eric Gordon ever comes back, he probably becomes the sixth man, but probably also still plays 25 to 30 minutes a game and takes a ton of three-pointers and is very much a stream at that point. And then Utah we already talked about. And then I think there's a couple of teams that play on Sunday we didn't discuss so far. Boston, L.A. were good. Mini Denver, Indy Toronto, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Washington, Chicago, New Orleans, Golden State. That's the only one, I think. We didn't talk Golden State. They did play on Thursday. It's the same thing for me with this team. I do trust Marquise Chris, regardless of up or down ball games individually. Uh, Andrew Wiggins should be decent enough the rest of the way. Steph Curry, who we're hearing is going to play in a week or two. We'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. He'll probably play a little bit. Draymond Green, do I trust Kai Bowman? No. Damian Lee, not really. Jordan Poole? No, I don't trust him. I know he got the start on Thursday, but I don't I don't care. All right, let's loop back around now and talk a little bit about what we saw on Thursday and what that means going forward. First thing, Detroit, full tank mode here. Number one, they brought Christian Wood off the bench. 
for no real reason. It wasn't explained. Maybe they wanted to try to keep him out of foul trouble because of Giannis, uh, because he would have been matched up against Giannis to start the ball game. If that's what you're doing, throwing Sekou Dumbuya in there on Giannis, it's just a guaranteed loss. So, yeah, maybe you save Christian Wood and he still gets to play 27 minutes instead of 20. But at least Wood in there to start the ballgame gave you a fighting chance to hang in there for a few minutes. You throw Sekou Dumbuya on Giannis. Giannis had a double-double in seven minutes of this game. And with 33 and 16, they didn't need any more than that. Bledsoe was good. Middleton was good. George Hill was actually fine. He surfaced for one. Brooke Lopez... Dante DiVincenzo only needed to play 18 minutes. I mean, this was a beating. This game was was worse than a, the final score might have indicated. But we don't care about the Milwaukee side. We care about the Detroit side. Derrick Rose looked pretty good. He got 15 shots up in 23 minutes. I think if the game were more competitive, you might have seen 25, 26, 27 minutes out of Rose. He's a guy you can likely safely start going forward. Bruce Brown, we've talked about, a guy you can start until Luke Kennard comes back, if Luke Kennard comes back. Thon Maker only played 18 minutes, but he's actually shown himself to be a pretty good permanent guy lately. With 11 points, 3 threes, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks on only 8 shots. That's good. And Christian Wood off the bench double-doubled with a steal and a block. So Rose, Brown, Thon, and Wood is what you're looking at right now. Not Svi, not Dumbuya. And would I stash Luke Kennard? Eh. He takes a lot of the sting off the Bruce Brown fastball, I'll tell you that but I don't know when he's coming back. I know that the Pistons broadcaster said, we expect him back soon. Yeah, do you though? Do you though? We talked a little Miami-Atlanta already while we were looking over the weekend. Uh, Trey Young had 50, took 19 free throws and 25 shots, used to trade a 42, but you know what? It worked. Shot 48%. His team won, got his guys involved. Two steals, a block, eight three-pointers. That's a hell of a game. You can forgive the seven turnovers. Cam Reddish was good. He played 37 minutes. These are guys to watch as teams go into the young man build mode here. Reddish is way over-owned at the moment. He's owned in like 15% of leagues on effectively one good ball game the entire season. I need to see it again before I do anything on this front. Even before he got hurt, I believe he had a concussion at the beginning of the month. He was starting to score a little bit, but his other stuff was a mess. He's shooting 35% from the field this year. 35. That should probably come up, but it might not come up this season. It might come up in future years. I would sooner trust DeAndre Hunter. I mean, obviously, Herter is the guy that you trust first among these, these wing types because we've seen him do it, and he's a little bit older and tougher. Uh, Hunter, 17-6-2 with a steal. It seems like he has some steals upside built in. I would keep a close watch on these guys. The problem, obviously, it, I mean, okay, I say obviously, but I maybe overusing that term on today's podcast. The problem with a guy like DeAndre Hunter is that while the minutes have been gigantic, everything hasn't fully fallen into place. It's closer He's 146 over the last month, just outside the top 100 over the last couple of weeks, playing huge minutes over that stretch. Steals have been good. Free throws have not. I mean, again, we're, I get the feeling we're a season away. These guys are going to turn up on a lot of fantasy teams, and I, I don't, 
they're not helping as much as it looks like they're helping because suddenly now they're scoring in double figures and everybody gets all slappy when guys start scoring 14, 15 points a game. And and for Hunter, he has rebounded well lately. He has some three-pointers and he has some steals. It's hard to have sustained fantasy value with wing stat set. Look at the top of the NBA. Look at the top of the fantasy landscape. How many guys in that mix would you classify as having kind of a wing-style fantasy game? I know you could say, well, James Harden, he's a small forward. Yeah, but it's not really a wing game. Giants scoring, rebounding, assists, steals, blocks, threes. He's, it, 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 that doesn't count. You got to work your way down the charts pretty far. Chris Middleton, to me, is kind of the first true wing fantasy game. Maybe you could say Brandon Ingram. And those guys are obviously having really nice years. Why do I keep saying obviously on today's show? Pardon me, people. Those guys are having great years. And Jason Tatum, you could throw into that mix. I don't know that anybody in the first round right now is a traditional wing. Jimmy Butler is probably the closest, but he's also kind of their point guard at six assists a ball game. Find me the guys who aren't rebounding or assisting all that well that are up near the top of the charts in fantasy value. Middleton is six rebounds, four assists a game. That's actually pretty good in both. Brandon Ingram, six boards, four assists also. That's like souped up wing stuff. Souped up wing stuff. I think I've been to that restaurant. Jason Tatum, seven rebounds, three assists. It's a little bit more forwardy than wing, but we'll give him an honor- honorable mention there as well. Bradley Beal, four boards, six assists. That's again a little bit more orchestrate I would argue that if we don't make any of these consolations, the first wing, like real wing-style fantasy player, so 3 and D is a wing type, scoring without much in the rebound or assist departments is kind of a, a more traditional wing type, is probably Zach Levine. At 25 points, a ton of scoring, five boards, which is decent, but not great, and four assists, which is actually pretty good, but not spectacular. I mean, I know he's an orchestrator, but he's not the lead guy from an, from an assist standpoint. That's Sadoransky on that team. So it's not that big of a difference from what you got out of Brandon Ingram and Chris Middleton. It's a little bit less rebounding, a little bit more focus on scoring. However you want to slice it. I mean, you could put Rob Covington in that mix as well. Maybe Donovan Mitchell. Is Gordon Hayward in that mix? Is Kelly Oubre? Yeah, okay. But now we're talking about guys in the 40s. These guys are all in the 40s that I've been bringing up. Zach Levine is at 37. His numbers are going to taper a tiny bit as well as, as the Bulls start to get healthy. The highly ranked players that have wingy fantasy games are Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, sorta, and Brandon Ingram, sorta. That's three guys in the top 37. Anthony Davis, big man. James Harden, lead usage guy. Kawhi Leonard, lead usage guy. Not a traditional wing game. I mean, he's on eight rebounds, five assists. That's not 
The wings, the guys that put up stat lines, not that dissimilar from what we're seeing from Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, those guys generally sit from 50 to 120, somewhere in there. An odd blend of guys overachieving in different statistical categories. I'm talking about the guys that knock down threes and their value is built into three-pointers, scoring, maybe free throws, maybe steals. Not a great deal else. Norman Powell fits that mold. He's 62. Again, look at... Basketball Monster is a perfect way to look it up. Look for the guys that are anywhere from neutral to slightly worse than neutral in rebounds and assists. And don't have any, you know, mega category. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. is negative in rebound and assist, but he's obviously jumbo in blocks and pretty damn good in three-pointers. Look for the guys that have a traditional wing build. Evan Fournier, traditional wing build. He's number 71. He's basically like the best of that bunch. 19 points, 2.73s, almost nothing in, his, in rebounds or assists. Good free throw numbers, decent scoring, has a steal. Who else is in that mix? You got to keep going down the list. Keep chugging on down. Boyan Bogdanovich, that's a wing build. Jeremy Lamb, he's like an efficient iteration of the wing build. Andrew Wiggins. Three and D guys like Ananobi, Daniel House, Josh Hart, Luke Kennard. We're past 100 now. There just aren't that many. So to expect guys like Herder and Reddish and Hunter to somehow leap into that upper echelon to get past a guy like Evan Fournier, it's going to take something special somewhere. Someone's statistical category has to be colossal. Or you just have to be damn good at all sorts of things. You need to be taking a crap ton of shots, like Jason Tatum, like Chris Middleton. 15 to 20 shots a game. That's just not happening for those guys. Brandon Ingram, a lot of usage there. The guys that have the usage rates that you see from Herder, Reddish, and Hunter are the guys sitting between Evan Fournier and... I don't care how far down the list you want to go. Kendrick Nunn. 70 to 140 range. If you get 70, it's a difference maker, but you're not. So I'm a little bit skeptical, and at the same time, after that gigantic rant, I'm also keeping a close watch on all three, because let's say Kevin Herter can keep up his four assists per game. That puts him into that front pack, because it's something special that separates him from a traditional wing fantasy build. What if DeAndre Hunter is going to get six or seven rebounds a game? He won't when Capella comes back, but what if he averages close to two steals a game? That's something. What if Cam Reddish is secretly awesome at both steals and blocks? He had two of each in in this game on Thursday. I don't expect that, but these are things we have to keep an eye on because you just don't know. You can't totally write it off, but the the percentages would tell us that we probably should. Charlotte, Chicago, we just talked about Zach Levine in Chicago a little bit. Sato is going to be good. Thad Young is going to be good until people come back, and then he'll fall off a cliff. And uh, then you're probably going to trust Levine, Sadoransky, Wendell Carter Jr., and Larry Markinen. And I don't know if it extends beyond that. I don't think Otto Porter ends up playing a big allotment of minutes this year. We'll see, but 
They're going to be damn cautious with him. For Charlotte, Cody Zeller's now seemingly moved back into the starting center role. I, I don't know what to pull from this. We saw Willie Hernan Gomez actually play for like two weeks. Then Biombo's back in there. Malik Monk has been really good from a scoring standpoint. Very much a points league guy right now. I don't think he's a nine-cat dude because he really doesn't do anything in the steals and blocks. And generally, his rebounds are lower than the six he got in this one. Good free throw guy. Good scoring guy. Points league. Wing build. It's hard to be a nine-cat guy with a wing build. P.J. Washington has been a bad percentages play. He wiped that out for this one ball game, but I don't know that I would trust him going forward. Kind of the same issue with Miles Bridges. He's been a bad percentages play also. And Devontae Graham, well, bad field goal percent, obviously. He missed all seven he took in this ball game. Terry Rozier is still kind of hanging on to value as well. What a, what a, what a clunker of a fantasy team. We talked Brooklyn quite extensively, but... Just a quick re-gloss here. People are celebrating Dinwiddie and Levert. I just, they do more harm than good, guys. They had overtime and had all the shots in the universe in this particular ballgame, and they still were basically net negatives for your fantasy team. This was a this is a bigger slate. They would not have been in the upper half. DeAndre Jordan would, though. He's been oddly good lately. Go figure. He might legitimately be the only guy who finishes the season for Brooklyn from now until the end of the year inside the top 100 in 9-cat. They might not have anyone. They might throw up a goose egg from here to the end of the year. For Dinwiddie and Levert, it's because of efficiency for Jordan. It's because he usually splits minutes with Jared Allen. Same problem with him. Joe Harris, just not enough touches. They might not have one between now and the end of the year. Philadelphia side, Al Horford is worth monitoring. He only played 18 and a half minutes in this game. That's bad. I was actually relatively confident he would get his 25 to 30 minutes off the bench. But Philly decided they needed more playmaking, and so they went small with extra Alec Burks. Who would have thought that Alec Burks coming in was going to really hurt Al Horford? But it did, because they were able to slide Glenn Robinson to the three, Tobias to the four, and Joel Embiid logged 41 minutes of this overtime game. Tobias played 46. I think Horford will be better in the next one. I still think he's a buy low because you can get him for pennies at this point. Josh Richardson, I mean, look, he had seven points, so people are going to call this a bad ball game. But if you just don't look at the scoring column, this was great. He had seven boards, three assists, three steals, a block, and a three-pointer. Five cash counters, seven rebounds, three assists. That's fantastic. Richardson's good. Ben Simmons sat this one out. Richardson, Tobias, Embiid, I still think Horford is worth using. I don't think Alec Burks can replicate this on a game-to-game. Memphis is in full mix-and-match mode their first game out of the All-Star break. DeAnthony Melton played well. Minutes weren't as high as I'd want them to be, but his stuff was. Brandon Clark looked good. Minutes have been trending up for Clark. That's a very nice sign. Get him into the mid-20s, and he's going to start dunking on everybody. Tyus Jones played really well in this game, which, of course, part of the reason that John Morant can't seem to get over the hurdle is that he's got these guys breathing down his neck, and his fantasy game is, is really more popcorn-y than anything else, with a good field goal percent. Dylan Brooks, we knew this cold spell was coming. Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't foul out. I don't know. I mean, I'm not expecting 
Dylan Brooks to completely fall off the map. We knew the cold stretch was on the way. Jaw's going to be fine. Valanchunas is going to be fine. JJJ is going to be fine. Brandon Clark and DeAnthony Melton both look like they've moved into must-own territory. But Clark has been all year, and Melton lately. If you had Harrison Barnes going bananas the first game out of the All-Star break, you win the office pool. I did not. Maybe he felt like Jabari Parker was breathing down his neck. Regardless, it doesn't look like there are going to be enough minutes for Jabari Parker, at least not quickly here. Maybe they feed him more down the line. We saw Nemanja Bialica log center minutes in this game, which is probably going to be good for his rebounding and defensive stats. Although, to be fair, the Kings were murdered on the glass. But Harrison Barnes had 30. He was going for a boy on. Or excuse me, he had 30 at the end of the third quarter. I'm looking at the wrong box score right now. This is a window that I had forgotten to refresh. Apologies, everybody. Uh, but anyway, Barnes went nuts coming out of the All-Star break. Bialica, I think this should be good for him. Extra center minutes is only a positive. And if Holmes and Bagley are really out at least two more weeks, well, the voodoo doll just keeps rolling. I do think we see Rashawn Holmes before the fantasy playoffs, and his mother said so on Twitter. Not the fantasy playoffs, but she said he's coming back. Don't change your uh, assessments much on Sacramento because of Jabari Parker. It's probably the short version of all of this. And Harrison Barnes will certainly balance out a big ball game by going you know, two for 12 in the next one for seven points. Small ball Houston, there was just no way the Warriors were going to be able to exploit that. Not with a lack of personnel. Houston side, uh, again, I mentioned P.J. Tucker actually getting into the mix a little bit on the offensive end. I think that he's your fifth best option fantasy-wise right now. Not into Eric Gordon. I don't know how many times I need to say that, but he is going to be a three-point specialist. I do think Daniel House is worth utilizing. I know he lost a few minutes in this one to Ben McLemore. And in general, I've pretty much moved on from P.J. Tucker. He's not going to shoot the ball as well as he did in this one. Warriors side, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Marquise Chris, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins. That's as far as I'm going. Say no to Eric Pascal, say no to Jordan Poole, say no to Damian Lee. It's not worth it. And if you want to stash, uh, stash Steph Curry in a non-playoff format, I certainly wouldn't stop you there. If you're in a playoff situation, you might want to see if you can move him for like, I don't know, top 80 guy? Get something useful? Because I don't think he's going to play in the first week of the playoffs. Maybe he does. You know, this comes back to our discussion from yesterday's show. If your team can win without him, go get somebody decent. Or, if you can hang on to the one or two seed, then obviously you sit on him because you buy yourself an extra week to get him right before your playoffs start. Want to read a review of the show? I promised I would do it every day if I remember, and I did in this one. So if I don't read a review, I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying. I'd be saying that I forgot when in fact I didn't. The Darkness says, because you insisted, Dan keeps on telling the listeners to rate and review, so here it is. Listen to a daily smoothest voice in fantasy basketball podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys doing all this rating and reviewing. The numbers are extraordinary. Extraordinary. Nothing short of mind-boggling. I say it once, I'll say it a million times. If anyone 
that's not already famous, and I'm not, I'm still not, and I really wasn't before. I mean, I was a, a retired minor league baseball broadcaster. If anybody with that level of fame or infamy thought that they could start a podcast and get almost 500 reviews on it, they're lying. I had no idea it was ever going to get close to this level. None. And that's all thanks to you guys. You guys just continue to do it. I keep begging and you guys keep doing it. So I'll do it again. Please rate and review the podcast. Drop a five-star review on Fantasy NBA today. I will love you forever. If you've already done it, please ask a friend to do it. Shoot them the link. It's very easy. If you pull up the link that we tweet out with these shows, you can just email that page to a friend of yours or text it to a friend of yours. They can click it on their phone and there are buttons on that page that allow them to just open the podcast app right from that page. That's the easiest way to do it at this point. So please, please, please ask a buddy to subscribe and drop a five-star review on this thing if you've already done it. If you haven't, please do it yourself. And if you write something funny, I'll read it here on the show. I will. And I might miss some. I might miss some, but it's not on purpose. Please do keep rating and reviewing the show. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the biggest thing I can stress to you on today's show, besides the fact that we've got basketball to talk about again, is we are bringing on blurbers. We got openings. And DFS podcasters, we've got openings. Hit me up at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If I don't respond quickly, you can hit me up again. I will not think of you as bothering me. I have trouble keeping up with everything going on on Twitter these days. So if you got to hit me twice, hit me twice. It's not annoying. I appreciate it. I mean, as long as it's about something like that. If it's like, should I do this trade? It means I either saw it and need to pass it along, or I didn't see it. But I, there's too many of those these days. Folks, it's been a pleasure. We're through the All-Star break. We made it. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I am Dan Bespris. Again, bug me, bug me, bug me with all these things we've been talking about. Rate and review. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Back at you on Monday. Reverse chronological lightning round nearly upon us. So long, everybody. Enjoy your Saturday and Sunday. We'll talk to you in a couple days. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.